Hi, this is Jeanette Creamore, or you may know me as JC. Welcome to Laugh, Learn, Lead, a podcast show that helps project sponsors, project managers and their teams shape their project success stories. I'll be sharing interviews that bring a different perspective to what project success looks and feels like, as well as unpacking our conversations to provide insights and practical tips. Stay tuned and enjoy. Hello, listeners. Today, I catch up with Julie Hyde, a leader of leaders. Julie enjoyed a successful 21-year corporate career where she led teams large and small to deliver strong results in a very competitive industry. She's transformed poor performance and toxic cultures to be some of the best in the business. Ten years ago, Julie decided to start her own business, taking everything she knew from her corporate days to work with small, medium-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. She's a disruptor and a powerful people enabler who helps leaders make big things happen. We talk about her background as a people and culture partner, her book Busy, recruiting and retaining staff, what shapes a successful team, and what she enjoys most working with her clients. Hello, Julie. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so excited. Um, I met you, I think, five, six years ago at a networking event and instantly fell in love with your energy and your purpose on how you wanted to make a difference in the workplace um, with what we seem to call busy all the time. Now, I know you're the author, but I know there's more to your story. Are you able to share with us your journey and um, who Julie really is? Absolutely. So thanks for having me, Jeanette, and I'm excited to be part of your podcast too. So a bit about my journey. Well, it started a long time ago. (laughs) Um, But first of all, the first step to my journey was uh, really when I started my um, corporate career. And I spent 21 years in that career. So I started as a teller and worked my way up. So from the ground up. Um, Through that time, I experienced the good and the bad and the ugly of leadership, you know, very male-dominated industry. Uh, But I had a great career and I really, through that time, I understood the impact of good and bad leadership and that really shaped me to be the leader that I was. Uh, So I really also understood what it meant for your people if you didn't walk your talk. So there was real distinctions throughout my career where I saw leaders who really walked their talk and they got a lot of um, buy-in and engagement from their people where in other situations where leaders didn't walk their talk and what they were promising didn't eventuate and that really caused a lot of frustration uh, with people and you know where we ended up losing some good talent so that was a big lesson for me throughout that time Um, and throughout my leadership journey and I think my biggest responsibility was when I had 26 direct reports I had 130 people I had 19 branches spread geographically across Melbourne and I was relatively young in our workforce so that was in my very early 30s so I was leading people a lot older than I was and I really understood then the value of planning the value of coaching and empowering people and I learned that through (laughs) um, many mistakes that I made along the way but also 
feeling like I was drowning at the start of that um, leadership um, appointment where I just really struggled to get on my feet and I was stuck in that busyness. But I had a great leader at the time who really showed me the value of planning and then eventually getting back more time to do what I was really passionate about, which was the coaching and the empowering of my tanks. It was a very big responsibility that I had. So I was very fortunate, if you like, to have seen in a large organisation the value of really robust systems and processes and what it actually meant to the business and to the people and to the outcome when followed but well and with purpose and meaning. So uh, I suppose, you know, I had that career and I loved it until I didn't <laughs> and decided to start my own business 10 years ago. And I really had no idea what I was doing at the start, but I very quickly understood the value of networking to build relationships with those in the same game as me because I all of my connections were in corporate. You know, over 10 years ago, I didn't really understand the value of networking and the importance of it in terms of networking outside the four pillars of a large organisation. And of course, so... Once I stepped out, I very quickly understood I needed to connect with people who were in the same game as me and to surround myself with a team because I'd stepped out of being immersed um, amongst a team of people to being a sole entrepreneur. So I really had to build my own team around me. While I didn't have anyone working for me in my business at the time, I really had to surround myself with associates who understood what I was doing who I could bounce ideas off and to really build my network in that way. Mm. But it's through sort of my, my career, particularly when I was a people leader, that this busyness came up. And this is, this is a long time ago now. So this is probably, you know, you're heading back 15 years where I'd go and visit my branches and people would say to me, I'd, I'd ask them how they were and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we're so busy. And at that time it's like, well, that's really good that you're busy because that's what you're paid to be. So <laughs> tell me what you're busy doing. And um, it was just something in the back of my mind. It's like we can't just be busy. We need to be productive, great outcomes. We can't just be wasting our time being busy. Um, and it was through meeting people at networking events and they're busy. Um, and just, you know, over the last five years or so, when you're talking to anyone, everyone is just really busy and it became a bit of, okay, so everyone's busy, but what are they doing? What are they busy doing? Is it just that they're busy being busy or are they busy doing fantastic things? So you'd, I'd have to dig down and ask the question and I thought there's really something in this and it became a bit of a focus of my writing so I've been writing a blog for many years and then when I did decide to write a book whilst I've been sort of diving into this busyness of people over a long period of time the book wasn't necessarily about busy it was about making sure that people were doing things that were purposeful and meaningful for them uh, because I was hearing a lot of the question people questioning themselves, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. I'm really wondering if it's all worth it. 
because people are feeling exhausted and they're feeling frustrated because they're not achieving what they're wanting to achieve. Um, and then, of course, I think the book just naturally evolved to being something about busy. So, and now I'm on a mission to change this culture that we have created about this busyness. So that's in a nutshell in terms of what a fairly long career has um, travelled down the road to where I am now. Yeah, and it's parallel that, you know, you were um, experiencing it and now you became the author of it. So Mm. like you said, you had all these, um, the staff and these branches and you were checking in and, um, and, they started to label their work as busy and so mm. it kind of started you to focus on something and you wanted to really discover and find out what the underpinning um, causes were of this label called busy. And I know when I read your book, I really got that label, uh, yeah, mm. I'm busy. And I think from my perspective, um, it was also like a bit of um, Brene Brown talks about as a bit of armour is that we use it to try to disguise potentially some of our weaknesses or where we might be have a few fears. Oh, yeah. if I'm busy, it means that I must be important or if I'm busy, it must mean that I'm doing the right thing. Whereas, like you said, have meaningful purpose um, yeah. and pr- productivity is the real thing. So in your book, and we, you know, and like you said, it's not just about being busy; it's about providing the the tools and the techniques to have that purpose in your life. Mm. When we do use the word "I'm busy," and when we say that to our team and our customers, mm. what are we really saying? Yeah, this is interesting, and busy communicates a lot, but it's not necessarily what you might want to communicate. So. If you looked up the definition of busy, um, busy is basically that you're occupied and that's what, <laughs> that's what the translation is, which doesn't say a lot. And when you speak to people from other countries, so like France or um, Italy, for example, they don't have a reference for this word busy. It means nothing to them. I had a guy in a workshop of mine who was French and he sort of caught the busy bug from us and was communicating back to his family, oh, you know, just really, I'm really busy. And his family was saying, well, what does that even mean? <laughs> so wow. he was like, yeah, that's a really good question. So what, what people need to understand is we will do what we prioritise. So if you prioritise being busy, if you prioritise being distracted, If you prioritise doing whatever it is, and that might be unconsciously as well, if it's emails, if it's whatever it might be for you, that is your priority. So when we are communicating to our team, I'm so sorry, I can't catch up with you, I'm really busy. Sorry I didn't return your call, I'm really busy, or your email or whatever it is, and I'm sure you've heard that excuse more times than once. What we're really saying to people is, I'm sorry I haven't got back to you. I'm sorry I can't catch up with you. You are not a priority. Oh, bingo. Absolutely. And people are getting sick of it, (laughs) particularly because we are all busy. It's all relative. No one is busier than anyone else. We've got to understand that. And people are using busy 
as one of the biggest excuses in business to not make commitments. Sorry, I can't do that. I'm too busy. I'm too busy to do this. I'm too busy to do that. I can't step up and do this because I'm too busy. Yeah. Oh, Julie, I project teams, they've got a bad behavior in using this, but it's not just the project teams. It's like you said, when you're the boss or the leader and you've said, oh, I'm too busy to catch up with you. Mm. When the project manager or a project team member goes and sees a sponsor or a stakeholder and they say the same thing, oh, I'm too busy to, what they're really saying is you don't matter and I don't care. Yeah. So for me, what I see is the project teams get very deflated Mm. when the word is I'm, I'm busy used over and over again. It deflates their, um, their enthusiasm, their energy, and they just lose their drive to keep making a difference. So yeah, yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And particularly when a leader is positioning themselves as too busy and that is through their perception. So it's through their behaviors and through their language. People are resistant to asking you questions because there's that perception of you being unapproachable. So, you know, if one of your team has made a mistake and it becomes crisis point, which it can often can um, do, or if people have made a mistake and they've been a bit fearful of asking the question and that's something you need to manage, you really need to look in the mirror as a leader and think, you know, what is the perception I'm creating that my team can't ask me a question and that's a real cultural thing so in a project where it's moving so quickly and things are changing and you have to be really agile and alert you can't afford for that culture to persist Mm, agree Mm. and and so I know that uh, I'm going to probably call this podcast episode never too busy because that's a hashtag that I started to use after reading your book um, never too busy because I wanted to adjust my thinking and behaviours and responses um, to people because I didn't want to give them the, uh, the the message or the language that they didn't matter. Yeah. So it was yeah. about me and prioritising my time so that they did matter. And mm. so I use that hashtag, um, never too busy. So um, I only hope it's okay that I use that for this episode show. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great hashtag. Yeah, it <laughs> is. So if we're saying that to our team, what are we saying that to our customers? The people, yeah. that, actually, the people that actually either provide us the funding to get our project done or buy our products and services to put money in the bank to employ our people. Yeah. Um, we're basically saying the same thing. And um, as I said before, busyness is relative. And while I do want to change that word, you know, it is a fact in life that things are moving at a rapid pace now. Things are quite frantic and people are busy, but we have to understand that your clients are everything. So, and particularly with our younger generation coming through, our, who are less tolerant of this behaviour. And so if you're saying to them, sorry, you're not a priority, I'm too busy, I'm not going to meet the deadlines or I'm not going to meet these service expectations. They're going to walk quite loudly with their feet and just go elsewhere. Mm. You know, and same without the younger generation in our team. 
But with clients, I mean, it's a red rag to me and I know my radar is up um, around the busyness. But if I have been let down and the excuse that is used is because I'm so sorry, I've been so busy, I haven't been able to get back to you. Well, sorry, I'm not going to do business with you. Yeah. I'm going to go somewhere where they actually value me because we've got choices everywhere now. It's very rare that there's a sole provider that can service your needs. There are a plethora of places that you can go and invest your money. Um, So, yeah, we need to smarten up and get a lot smarter about how we're using this business as a badge of honour and how we're using this as an excuse. Mm. Because it is a question that I do pose to one of my group mentorings. And I say, you know, when people are saying to you that they're busy, what what is the perception mm. in your mind? And it always comes back that it's like, well, busy, so what? Um, that they're bad with their time, um, that they're unorganized, that people don't feel confident in referring to them. So if you're a small business in particular, and this is an excuse that's used in your business. And of course, referrals are the best um, business that you can get because, you know, other people are endorsing your business. Um, You need to be really um, careful around this and how it's damaging your brand and your business. Mm, Absolutely. That's um, really important information to pause and reflect for a little minute, isn't it? Like, um, yeah. What, what are we saying to people when we're saying, I'm busy? Yeah. So, and it is sometimes people haven't even haven't thought about it in that way, um, but we've got to be careful about the power of language. Mm. Wow. I know that um, people come to you um, not just for strategies around how to, um, you know, help their teams lose their label busy, but they're actually wanting you to help them recruit and retain their staff because Mm. um, some of your leadership strategies and that. When you um, go into organisations and you're working with them, what are some of the common problems and mistakes that you're seeing when they do um, go about recruiting and retaining staff? Mm. Um, I think I work predominantly in the small business um, area and help them out with um, their recruiting and their retention. So I find... Probably the most common mistake is that they're recruiting because they're desperate. And, you know, this can be driven by cash flow, which is, you know, one of the biggest challenges for small and medium businesses. So they recruit out of, you know, that they need the person now. So there can be a tendency to bring someone on board who isn't quite the right fit. And then there's problems down the track, Um, particularly if they're not, the right fit culturally. So if their values don't align with that of the organisation, if they've got a skill that is needed by the business, you know, there can be that tendency to just bring them on because it solves an immediate problem, but it can create a longer term one. And businesses spend a lot of time and money recruiting only to then put the employee in a box because they are so busy um, and not utilise the unique strength and talent of that new recruit. So sometimes we can sell them this great ideal about the business and how wonderful it's going to be and what our culture's like. And then the new person might come on board 
And because people don't have the time to spend to induct them really well and to go through a process of probation with them over the six months, so regularly catching up with them and and really inducting them into the business the right way, um, people can feel a little bit despondent about that and, you know, what they've bought into isn't quite what was promised. And sometimes you see people leaving early, even, you know, before the six months is up because it isn't what they thought it was. Mm. And as I said before, where we've got, um, you know, our Gen Ys are going to be 50% of our workforce by next year. So Gen Y and younger and millennials. So we've really got to be smarter with A, how we're recruiting, because if you're using a recruiter, you're obviously paying quite a high percentage to bring people on board. Um, And just getting the return on investment for A, the time and the money. So the more time you put in at the front end, the bigger return on investment you're going to get longer term. Um, So that's what I see is the biggest problem with recruitment. It's done quickly and it's done sometimes out of desperation and the investment's not there of time at the front end to spend with the new recruit. With the retention, um, people rarely leave because of remuneration. It's generally because they feel unvalued and unheard. And, you know, people generally want to do a great job and they want to contribute and they want to be respected. And that goes for any generation or gender. People need to feel that basic level of respect. So as a leader, we need to ensure that we provide the platform for that to happen consistently. So ensuring that we've got really good systems and processes in place to make sure that we're communicating with them um, often, that we are having really meaningful performance conversations, that we're interested in their career progression and that there are actionable steps for the employees to go through. And we need to get a little bit smarter and understand that the soft skills, as they're referred to, are now the power. And that is really um, needing to have within your toolkit as a leader the ability to connect and the ability to understand with each, uh, to understand each individual within your team and to understand what makes them tick and how to motivate them and how to get the best out of them, but to know when to throw your arms around them and when to really challenge them and give them a push in the right direction. Mm. So I think that's, you know, getting really human about leadership now is something that's needed um, and it's something that leaders need to embrace in terms of the courage to do that and the courage, I suppose, to be a little bit more vulnerable with their team. You know, you mentioned Brene Brown before. Mm-hmm. So that's what we need more courageous leaders to be able to show their true selves and to understand that we don't have to have all the answers, but you surround yourself with people who have got this collective intelligence that you can tap into to be a better leader yourself and to grow the business through these people who are more than willing to contribute. Mm, so, oh, well, I've got lots going on in my head at the moment. Um, 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Um, like at the beginning when you're talking about the recruitment stuff about you know the the rush and the the urgency mm. projects are in that space all the time they kind of mm. get to that issue and the issue you know resolution action might be oh go on go and get us an architect or go and find a communications person or go and and they're rushing to get that recruitment done that engagement mm. be it a you know a, an employee or a contractor and they want them to get busy straight away. There is no yeah. sense of, um, like you said, inducting them and talking to them about how, what their language is and how they like to be valued and this is our team and this is our how we respect one another. There's none of that induction. It's kind of just like, oh, yeah, get, just get stuck into it. And, she's mm. as you were talking, I'm, my little heart's pulping here going, oh, she's just hitting the nail on the head here with, that whole turmoil of uh, resource management in projects, we're always mm. rushing to recruit. And then when we people, when our people do leave our project teams, it's absolutely because not about the money. 100% mm. agree with you there, Julie. They're leaving projects because they don't feel as if, yeah, they're valued and they're not mm. contributing to what they thought the role was. They don't feel that they have the authority or they might not feel as if... Um, their diverse thinking is accepted and so they're always being shut down as a no. Yeah. Or, yeah. Lo- oh, that's that's gold, that um, that little recruiting and retention bit there. Yeah. And, look, it's I understand the time pressures, particularly in the project world, um, and it, 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 that is real. And um, But as I said, the more time you take, you invest at the front end of things, yeah. The more, the more you're going to reap the benefits of it later on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I kind of have a 10-day kind of productivity measure when I have new resources come into my project teams mm. um, because I thought, look, you can't expect someone to be productive on day one, you know. They've got to get a sense and a vibe and I, and I always mirror them up with someone so they shadow for a couple of yeah. days without effect responsible and you know and my sponsors understand my approach because I give them success but on you know when I go in to help other projects that may not be um going okay and I talk about the resource strategy about this you know 10-day rule that I have they go oh that's mm. cost and I oh, yeah but without doing it it's going to cost you 10 times more mm. you know um, so yeah, I love that. So, oh geez, I could have a whole episode just on recruiting and retention. We won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, from your experience and belief systems, what do you think shapes a team's success? You know, when there is yeah. diversity and, um, you know, you've brought all these new people in, recruited them, and you've got retention of older, you know, staff that have been there for longer. How do you shape that team to get them to experience success yeah I think this is a really great question um but I think the the fundamentals to this are three things and the first is the culture the second is the leadership and the third is the diversity as of the team which you mentioned so if I talk about culture um and we talk about respect so where, where, where there is a basic level of respect and genuine inclusiveness, um, the team can really fire. 
And because culture is the lifeblood of any business. And when it's something that is empowering and energizing, and when it's something that is really purposeful and productive, the magic can really happen. So the, the team functions really well and really supports each other and they have each other's back when there is that culture of allowing and enabling that to happen. And of course, you know, culture is that feeling so that people feel safe to do that in an environment where they're not going to be shut down, where they're going to be respected, even if their opinion is not agreed with, it's something that's valued within the business. So that's probably the first thing with the culture, which I think you've got to get right first. Uh, Of course, culture is determined by the leadership. Um, And, you know, where the leadership is relevant, and that um, I'm meaning relevant um, in the point that, that you are relevant to the people that you are leading. So it goes back to, again, understanding who you're leading and why mm. and enabling them to understand that. So, and where the leader is able to engage the hearts and mind of the team, again, the magic can really happen. So the culture is led from the top. I truly believe that. You've heard of the saying, the fish rots from the head, and it does. Mm. Um, so the leader really needs to walk their talk. If they want a culture like I just explained, they need to lead it and they need to lead a healthy workplace. And that means, you know, enabling people to bring their whole selves to work, enabling them to say, you know, where they might be having a bad day or they might be having a great day, Um, but just allowing those real conversations to happen and providing that environment for some real open discussion and inviting not only inviting but wanting contribution from their team. Um, So that's the leadership. And, of course, diversity. A diverse team is much smarter than a uh, a team of homogenous minds. So, you know, bringing different perspective, ideas, creativity, opinions and experience, if you've got a diverse team, you've got a really rich tapestry to tap into for success. So it's really important to have that culture of respect because, you know, the the diversity is around generations, it's around culture and it's around gender Um, and, of course, around different experiences as well. So when you've got that real mix of difference, it can just really create a a strong and smart team. Mm. Yeah, I I get those three very much in projects as well. So you talk about culture. I call that project vibe. So Mm. I I talk about when project teams come together, what's their vibe that they want to have because they have have to fit within the organisation's culture but they can be a little bit different because they're a a small group that are there for a purpose um, and for a a sense of a time. So I say, you know, what's your vibe? So we talk about vibes. So I love that. And then the leadership, of course, I'm all like, yeah, tick, tick, tick. Mm. Um, and diversity, yeah, tick, tick, tick. Cause, um, and I try to recruit people that are very much different to me because I'm only one part of the wheel and I need all parts. Yeah. That diversity. And I also like that 
diversity brings the challenging conversations. So mm. when you're in a project, you need to have that diversity for problem solving. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to be solving the same problems the same way. You're going to get the same issues repeated. So, yeah, diversity. Mm. I love that, those three um, tips. Mm. Um, Julie, you work with a lot of small businesses, as you said. That's your niche and um, you help them. And I think um, I think you're calling people and culture partner is probably one of your probably key messages at the moment. Yes. Um, when you're working with your clients as their people and culture partner, what do you love enjoying? You know, what do you love doing and helping them with? Yeah, I think coming from my corporate experience, which was incredibly valuable, I love so much working with small and medium businesses because they're so hungry to learn and they're really quick to implement. Um, sometimes in the corporate environment, you know, there's so many different, I suppose, stop, what's the word I'm trying to? Um, Gates. Yeah, hurdles for people hurdles to get to over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas in small business, they're just really hungry and want to know how they can be better and really keen to, to implement. So, and I love bringing... Uh, a, a framework to the leaders of the small and medium business space to enable and empower their team, which will ultimately give the leader back more time to do what they love. So I'll set up frameworks for them and that might enable them to get out and see their clients more or go out and do their business development, whatever it is for them. It's really important for the leader to do what they love while their team are also doing what they love. And often it's the entrepreneur that I work with who's grown um, their business and um, have brought on a team of people and they might not have had that people leadership experience. So I come in with a lot of that and I help them. I might help them around critical conversations, around performance reviews, just really enabling them with tools and techniques that I might have that they don't have the experience of. But, yeah, I'm really passionate about that, um, the SME space, if you like. Um, and I'm very much around enabling and empowering. So I love to provide new perspective to people and I am really passionate about empowering leaders and that can be anyone. That's a really broad term. But I really am passionate about enabling leaders to be the best leader that they can be and to really leverage that in whatever they're doing. Um, so that's my SME space. So that's where I, you know, do call myself the people and culture partner um, and I help them in that space to build a really strong team and also a really strong culture. So, and when I'm working one-on-one, I really love supporting and challenging my clients because any client that I work with, I have an absolute belief in them. Otherwise, I wouldn't work with them. So it's empowering them with the confidence to achieve their goals and objectives. And when I am running workshops, um, whether that be in a small business space or corporate space or even public, it's really empowering people and enabling them to be the best that they can be and encouraging people to think differently about things. So like we were talking about busy before, 
and, and you know, encouraging them to think differently about the perception that busy can create, for example, or how it can impact their personal brand or how they can be a relevant leader. But it's really um, so they can have a really resourceful experience throughout that workshop and come away with something that's really actionable. And it's the same thing when I'm doing um, keynotes. So I love to shine a light on areas that people may not have considered. Um, you know, it's about challenging paradigms and leaving them with a new way of thinking or a new learning about something. Or it can even just simply be reminding people about something that they know but have forgotten because of the busyness of their lives. So I often get feedback that, People haven't thought about something I've spoken about in a particular way before and that's that that's the feedback that I love so I have a lot of energy and passion for what I do, <laughs> you do and, and the people that I've talked to that you've helped um yeah you've you've rescued them from some sticky situations but you've also set them up for growth um so you, probably you're the full range of of mm. of, of helping them yeah so and uh so if people wanted to know all this and you help them how could they best get in touch with you um julie and and also i know that you've currently got a 30-day challenge out you want to share a little bit about that i have so i've just released a it's 10 tips for how to turn Uh, busy into productive in 30 days so it's just something that you subscribe to on my website and over 30 days I'll send you out my top 10 tips for how to turn busy into productive so at the end of the 30 days you've got the tools and techniques to pinpoint your areas um, for how you can become a lot more productive. So that's been getting some really good feedback lately. So the best place to tap into all of my resources and understand more about what I do and also um, subscribe to my podcast, which you've been a guest on, Jeanette. <laughs> which I, So you can listen to Jeanette's podcast on that as well. The Making It Count podcast is on my website, Julie Hyde com.au and I'm also really active on social media that be LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Awesome and I'll definitely put the links on um, my website so that people can click through to you and navigate quickly to um, definitely sign up for that 30-day challenge. I think that should be a must for everyone that listens in today. Um, and yeah, I really want to thank you, Julie. It's been a delight as always. And, um, I think we might even get this episode out during this month. I'm hoping people will be able to hear this, uh, on the 18th of September. So we're probably in the middle of the AFL finals month. Now I'm a Gold Coast Suns, um, foundation member, so I'm definitely not in the finals. Um, we're already... Um, off-season partying, getting ready for pre-season. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're a tiger girl. I am a tiger girl. So that'll be two, three days before the preliminary finals. So I know. I know. It's very so nerve-wracking. Thank you. Um, but, uh, yeah, so <laughs> thank you, Julie, and, um, yeah, talk soon. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeanette. Thank you for listening and I hope you have a few ideas to take action. I would love for you to rate and review the show. I too need feedback to learn. Cheers for now. Remember, a day without laughter is a day wasted. 